my throwing arm, this useless expertise. I spent my life perfecting my throw until the night my mother almost died in my arms and I learned that throwing was a useless expertise. I throw, I throw the ball against the wall. I throw, I throw alone. The ball hits the X and not just the X, but the center of the X. I cannot miss if I try, I hate that I cannot miss. My mother and I always fought about me wearing pink. She tried to dress me in pink for years, ever since I was a baby, even till the day she almost died. I mean, the day she almost died, really, she did die. And they brought her back out of the clutches, out of the talons of death. And what did we argue about? Me not wanting to wear pink. I remember being two years old. I can remember, you know, well, well, listen, first, let me tell you my Pizzell Iron philosophy. I'll give you my Pizzell Iron philosophy 101. You know what a Pizzell is? You know, those honest flavored cookies. They're like four or five inches round. They look like snowflakes with intricate designs. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Well, we all got templates, our inner Pizzell Iron, that gets set with core trauma early on. Then the rest of your life, you're just kicking out Pizzells in the same pattern, stamping out gorgeous Pizzells exquisite as it might be, complicated as it might be. But to change it, to change the scenarios, eh, well, you need to recast the plates. In the meantime, all we could do is sprinkle powdered sugar over our trauma. But to tell a new story, to live a new story, ah, wow, I got to get a blacksmith to work on my psyche. Iron melts at 2,800 degrees. Yeah, it's about to get hot in here. Today, my mother died. Today, my mother died. Today, my mother died. Today, my mother died. After a very brief rain, I was coming home from a softball game. I got the best arm on the team. I always had the best arm. I love to throw. My teammates call me Lanzo, short for Lanzolato. But Lanzo means I throw, I launch, in Italian, lancio, hours and hours, years and years, I throw everywhere I go, inside I throw, outside I throw, against the wall I throw, hard against the stoop, down onto cement sidewalk squares, up into the sky I throw, I throw the ball. I throw the ball against the wall. I throw. I throw alone. I thought the skill of a good, hard, fast, accurate throw would help me make my way in the world, help me survive. And it would have if I lived in ancient times, if I was a hunter-gatherer. Did you ever hear the theory of the throwing Madonna? It's a theory of the evolution of right-handed dominance. You see, females used to hold babies more on the left side because, well, it's inherently more effective to soothe the baby on the left. What calms a baby? The heartbeat of the mother. The baby wants to be next to the mother's heart. It's natural. Boom, bada, boom, bada, boom, bada, boom, bada, boom, bada. Very soothing. And so with the baby in the left arm, the mother's right arm was free to throw. 
to catch prey. Pelt a rabbit or a partridge with a rock or a spear at a larger animal. Boom, there's dinner. Dinner! To survive, you had to throw. You had to throw good, accurate, fast, strong, fierce. And so, right-armed dominance evolved. My throwing arm is my right arm. This is my throwing arm. My one arm to receive, my other arm to throw. I throw, I throw the ball against the wall. I throw, I throw along. Through the window I throw, into tomorrow. This ball bounces high so I can't see its top. The ball has an invisible top. I throw the ball and the rain comes down. All the doors open wide at once. I throw the ball till it reaches the sun. The ball is the sun. Watch. I was coming home from a softball game. The water was boiling on the stove. My mother's making me a pasta for my birthday. I hear paper, tape, and scissors going in the other room. Here she worked all day, all week. She's a hairdresser and a manicurist and a beauty parlor. And now she's wrapping presents? When did she have time to take the bus to buy me a birthday present? I mean, you know, I'm 29. I don't still need presents. She doesn't have a car. How's she buying me presents? Ah, that's how my mother loves. She's always got a big meal coming at you and a present coming at you. A big hot steaming hot pan. She walks out of the bedroom holding a big box behind her back. And she's got a smile on her face. She's so excited to give me a present. She can't keep her eyes from sparkling. My mother's eyes are overpowering. Blue diamond, Sinatra eyes. In grade school, her teacher took her by the hand and walked her from class to class to show off her eyes. Would you believe her eyes? Look at her eyes. She was so embarrassed. The box is wrapped beautiful and tied with white and lavender ribbons. Now you strip a ribbon with the blade of a scissor to make it curly. She's got all curly ribbons tied into bows. I open the box. Inside, in white tissue paper, is a pink short set. She sees the look on my face. I didn't say anything. I don't want to say anything. I mean, she worked all day. She's cooking me dinner. She's wrapping presents. I'm sure she baked a cake and got candles. I mean, what else you want from the poor woman? <laughs> but I can't hide my face. She caught me off guard with this one. I mean, I thought we settled this long ago. We've been having this wrestling match my whole life. My mother pulling pink clothes over my head and me struggling to push and tear the pink clothes off and away from my body. Even at two years old. I mean, I have this memory. And she affirmed it with a picture, a <laughs> photo from 1965 one of my earliest memories. I'm two years old, sitting up on the kitchen counter. She's telling me, hold still, while she arranges a frilly pink dress on me. I'm squirming, protesting. It's not the color pink, per se, that I abhor. It's the restrictions that come with girls' clothes, and the architecture that doesn't fit my body and serves no purpose. Sit with your legs crossed. Close your legs. Big girls don't sit with their legs open. You know, I could still feel the draft. Cold and exposed, up my legs, up my chest, hitting me in the chin. She's pushing the elastic band short puff sleeves up high on my arms, so the sleeves puff up on my shoulders. The way she's looking at me, but not seeing me. Don't run. Don't jump. You'll ruin the dress. Don't eat chocolate ice cream. You'll stain the dress. Don't, don't, don't. So what are you supposed to do in girls' clothes? Just sit and be looked at? I do not understand this 
pink dress thing. Get it off me. I pull and push and twist and kick and tear it from my neck. Get it off me. Three buttons in the back up to the neck. I'm trapped. Trapped in stiff, frilly pink. Frilly pink. Sit still. You look so pretty. Sit still. That's my idea of hell. I want to run. I want to jump. I want to play. I want to climb, fly, throw. How can I run in this thing? This is no good. My legs are exposed. I'm not protected. If I run and fall, I'll scrape my knees and elbows. I'll be bleeding all over the place. I screamed, Get me out of here! Calm down. Just let me take a picture first. Then I'll take it off. You promise? I hold my breath as she lifts me up and puts me on the maple table, combs my hair with her fingers, licks her finger and pinches the ends of my hair so it doesn't stick out, and for a finishing touch, ties a pink balloon to my wrist with a string. I close my eyes. The flash bulb pops. A bright flash of light, and it's over. She unbuttons the dress and pulls it off over my head, saying, what's the use? It was 1965. Evil Knievel just made his first big jump. We kids were, what do you call that now? Paramore, paddocore, parkour, parkour. When you jump all over everything, off staircases, out of windows, that's what we did. We jumped, we climbed, we ran. The world bounced. She bounced with the lure of a Super Bowl. We stacked eight mattresses and jumped out windows. We flew off the sides of stoops. We made tanks out of refrigerator boxes and powered them like hamsters crawling inside a turning wheel, picking up speed downhill till we crash-landed into a brick wall, laughing. We slid and swung from railings, slamming our bodies into garage doors with a thunderous bang. We swung from ropes on maple trees. We climbed stacks of trashed wood, empty car holes, whatever junk pile we found in backyards in garages, in lots. Rusty nails stuck out of everything. We snapped pieces of vinyl siding off the side walls of our neighbors' houses in the alleyways and shot these sharp pieces at each other with zip guns we made out of L-shaped scraps of wood, a staple for the gun sight, and rubber bands for thrust. What are you kidding? I need at least my knees covered. That's the least of it. Jumping, climbing, flying, falling, scraped, bleeding. I mean, we did things whose sole purpose was to make you bleed. One thing we did was called knucks. You hit the other guy's knuckles with the standing edge of a full deck of cards. Knucks was for the loser of a game or a dare, like, I'll bet you six knucks. The goal was to skin the other kid's knuckles until they bled and he cried uncle. <laughs> it hurt. I mean, 52 paper cuts coming down hard all at once. It's hard enough for a kid to hold a whole deck of 52 cards in one hand let alone coming up with this idea of slamming the edge of the deck on another kid's knuckles. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have any supervision, that's for sure. In the streets, we were on our own. We loved taking blood oaths, too, with a pocket knife or a safety pin. We'd puncture our right thumb until it bled and hold each other's thumbs together, mingling blood. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen kids do these things in a long time. They're all attached to computers now. Do kids even look at each other anymore? On my 29th birthday, my inner Patel iron was functioning perfectly. My mother and I had the same argument we had for 29 years. I hate pink. You look so pretty in pink. I hate girls' clothes. But you're a girl. 
I hate pink. Pink matches your coloring. It's a good color on you. I lifted the pink short set up to look at the shape of it. The shirt had shoulder pads. Shoulder pads enrage me. I say nothing. My mother's face drops. She sees my face. Still, she makes a case for the outfit. Not pink shrimp, she insists. You don't even know me, I blast. You don't understand. I mean, you're the biggest sexist I know. It's 100% cotton. What's the difference between this and your orange shirt? This is nothing like my orange shirt. I throw the ball. I throw the ball through the wall. Into the soup I throw. Into tomorrow. The temptation to go far away exists. I throw the ball and he catches it. I throw the ball and she stops to mark the place. All the windows open wide at once. I throw the ball till it reaches the sun. I take a shower, shake it off, and get dressed. My plan is to have dinner with my mother, then hop a train to meet my cousin downtown at a gay bar to hang out for my birthday. It's a good plan. My mother's gravy fills the apartment with this warmth and aroma that draws me to the pot. I step into the kitchen and just stand over the pot and breathe in the gravy. I dunk a piece of Italian bread in there and take a bite. Mm. My mother's kitchen is small as a jail cell, but she kicks out cooking constantly. She's fed hundreds of people out of this kitchen. And believe me, I'm underestimating. She stands at the stove, and I sit either on the countertop or behind her on the kitchen stool. This particular moment, I was behind her. There was a loud banging, knocking on the door. We weren't expecting anybody, but my mother had this philosophy that when you cook, people just appear. You don't have to know who you're cooking for. Just cook, she'll say. And somebody always shows up. So as soon as she heard the knock on the door... She instinctively grabbed another bag of rigatoni, ripped it open, and threw the macaroni into the boiling water. The macaroni was midair, on its fall into the pot, as my mother falls backward into my arms. Annie! The sound of my own name terrified me. The way she yanked my name like a rope when she fell. As she fell my name losing ground for her. My name, not enough to hold on to. She called it like a question. Annie! Like there was confusion. Annie! And a strange, calm panic. I was right behind her, no need to yell. She fell back as if from a blow. I catch her with my arms and whole chest. In that instant, I was right behind her. I felt placed like a chess piece, a pawn. She was soaking wet. She wilted into my arms. Her arms had no power, no movement. They just hung there. I reminded her to breathe. I expanded my chest. Breathe, Mom, breathe. The EMT showed up in seven minutes. One of them is this kid Tommy I went to high school with. Our lives are now in Tommy's hands. I hope I treated him kindly in high school. Come on, Tommy. Come on, Tommy. I hope I was always good to you, Tommy. We need you now, Tommy. At the emergency room, I am handed her gold necklaces, rings, panties, one earring, and false teeth. I am told it is definitely not a heart attack. 
I am told this hospital can't handle it. We must go elsewhere. We have three minutes to decide. Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Every throw is so crucial. I throw the ball. I throw. I throw alone. Elsewhere. Elsewhere. I cry as I stroke her hand. The doctor tells me I'm acting weird. It's because I look at him the way only a dyke can look at a man. Like a sieve, I throw the ball. I throw my body down into space. I throw the ball to die. Dice, rice, and other machines. I throw myself into a healing. I throw the ball. I throw the ball through the wall. It bounces and bounces and bounces and bounces. This pain longs for something to chew. Valhalla, there is a Dr. Fisher there. He is a cardiothoracic surgeon. He's on call tonight. To Valhalla. So is this how it ends then? This? Red lights flashing over the familiar terrain? Trees black at night? Tuckahoe, Eastchester, Palmer. The signs alighting. An ambulance named Empress. Dr. Fisher arrives in a baseball cap. He draws two arcs on a cardboard box with a pencil in the hallway. He explains, she's got what we call a triple A, an ascending arch aortic dissection. What? This is the aorta. This is the heart. Here is where the split occurred, close to the heart. What are chances if you do the surgery? 50-50. And if you don't, zero. Do it. We exchange words about her blood loss. And to calm me, he says, what's blood to you isn't blood to me. They wheeled her towards the operating room. She says to him, I hope I hold up for you, doc. Only my mother would say that in what could be her last words, humbling herself, offering herself, apple pie, sparkly eye, even now in what might be her last moment. It is thrown. I threw it. The ball, the arc of the throw, the movement to perfection. I threw it. Chase me quick. I threw the ball to die. I sit in the waiting room and watch this family who's waiting for their father to die. The mother is as if she had been dropped from a great height. The back of the chair supports the whole weight of her head. Two daughters still dress pretty. A third daughter dresses in despair. Her black purse in her lap. The black strap wound tight around her wrist. My grandmother thinks it's because I won't carry a pocketbook that I'll never get married. I shove everything in my pockets. My grandmother, someone's going to have to tell her what's going on with my mother. The sisters are speaking to one another. I was going to cure my meat. Why cure it if you could freeze it? Why'd you take the lid off my coffee? Why don't you just sit down? You know I hate it when you crumble the cookies. You put lemon in my tea? That must be mine. Here, take it out. I didn't even squeeze it. Why don't you just sit down? You put the meat in a crock pot with potatoes and carrots and onions, and eight hours later, Dr. Fisher comes out of the operating room. There's blood on his paper shoes. He nods. 
We still got a long way to go. I kneel on the floor and pray. Live, mom, live, mom, live, mom, live. I want my voice to have the power of my throwing arm. I get up on my feet and go walk in the halls. I stop a priest. I say, Father, I need a word. I need to practice the Lazarus call. You know, walk, walk, rise. Everybody needs gravity to tug to earth. I want to pull her back, call her name, yank it like a long rope. He pets my head. He tells me where the chapel is. He tells me where the chapel is. The door was open but heavy to pull. I pull with two hands. The immensity of the space inside. The silence inside. Louder than the rise of the hallway. The altar was in darkness. Mom, mom, mom. Heartbeat like a drum. Live, mom. Live, mom. Live, mom. Live. Mom, mom, mom. You mom, mom. Mom, mom, heart, mom, live, mom, live, mom, live, mom, live, mom, 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 heartbeat like a drum, mom. The candles, her eyes, she was hiding a terrible surprise. All I can think of is throwing a chair through the stained glass window. Something's got to break. Glass, words, every dish, every cup. Walls aren't walls. Walls are tunnels. From the moment I was born, I mourned the day I would lose you. I throw. The world depends upon this ball hitting that X. I throw. I throw with everything inside me. Non è posso e non ci potremo più rivedere a faccia faccia. It's not possible that we will never see each other again face to face. Three days later, I hire a male nurse for private duty. We agree we'll each do 12-hour shifts so she's never alone. He lends me his car so I can get back to the apartment. Three days later, the pasta is still on the stove. I cannot bring myself to straighten out her shoes. They are as she left them, one on top of the other, as if trying to climb out. Her earring on the floor, the clearing where the table was pushed back to make room for the stretcher. The rug folding over itself. Empty dishes in place, waiting. Every object with the trace of her touch. These objects have taken years to find their places. And now, silence. From the candy dish, silence. I collapse on the couch for hours. My life can be summed up in one syllable, the way she yanked my name like a rope when she fell. As she fell, my name losing ground for her. I was right there behind her, no need to yell. My name, not enough, not enough to hold on to. She will live. Another set of coordinates will claim her. She stood on this spot, cooking and washing dishes, 20 years not knowing this would be the place to claim her. Water boiling on the stove for my birthday pasta. When her heart broke, water boiling. A neighbor brings me a dish of pasta fazul. Another writes a prayer on an index card. They are confident 
She'll come home. I lift the pot of rigatoni and toss it, her sacred gravy and meatballs, into the trash. Once I touched one thing, I had to change everything. I redid the whole apartment. I polished the floor where she fell. Light blue cabinets, wallpaper, ceiling fans, white, one-gallon balmy day, blue Pittsburgh paint, blue onion the cabinets, shelf 11 and a half inches, get brackets, hang plants, hang things at different heights, statues of angels, pictures of angels, a stone angel for the garden, this kitchen. This is where she fell. I need one gallon white semi-gloss, three roller pads. Get a lazy boy chair. She can't lay back flat anymore. I telephone our neighbor, Amelia, and she takes the bus with me up Central Avenue to the lazy boy showroom. Amelia and I sit in every plush strata lounger on the display floor before I choose one for my mother. We test the mechanism for raising your feet. My mother won't have the strength to do this. I'll have to do it for her. Amelia and I are both big. My mother's half our size. I sit in a little blue velour chair. My feet hang about a foot off the chair. This'll fit my mother perfectly. Amelia looks over at me and says, Once you lose your mother, you'll never get a straight answer again. I need to buy a car to take her home from the hospital. Our neighbor George says to me, I know this guy. He sells used cars right out of his driveway. I'll drive you up there. The car dealer is a heartbroken man who just lost his wife after he redid the whole house for her. He shows me the indoor pool he built with a bar. He presses a button and the ceiling retracts like a convertible car, but it's not a car. It's the room of a house. He says to me, this way she could have swam outdoors or indoors whenever she wanted. She didn't live long enough to swim there, not even once. He sells me this tan four-door Pontiac with velour bench seats. It'll be easy for mom to get in and out of this car. Six-cylinder, not too fast, tan, calm-looking, velour interior, soft. Fifteen hundred bucks, as is, just under the lemon law. The surgery was a success, but there were complications. Dr. Fisher patched her aorta like the inner tube of a bicycle tire. The wound developed a staph infection, her whole sternum became mushy pus like a banana. The wound had to be kept open. Imagine seeing your mother with an open sternum. Hard to imagine. They put her on vancomycin, and the vancomycin gave her red man syndrome. I telephoned the manufacturer and described her symptoms. Dr. Fisher says to me that he only wants one pair of hands to irrigate her wound. If it doesn't heal, he's going to have to open her up again, and he knows that'll be too much for her. I say, train my hands. So he does. Twice a day, I undo the bandages, rinse the blood, dab away the gunk, dab it clean. Her heart is right on the other side of this mush. I have to clean the pus. It has to drain. It has to clear. It has to heal. I apply Silverdine. I redress the wound with gauze. My mother looks at my face the whole time. She never once saw her wound. She'd look at me. My face was the mirror of her wound. She would judge by my expression how it looked, how it was healing. So I had to believe it was healing. I had to see beyond the pus and the blood. I had to see the healing so minutely. I had to learn what's blood to you isn't blood to me. 
I looked at my mother's open sternum and smiled. It looks so beautiful, Mom. You're healing beautiful. You'll be home in no time. It was weeks before she could get off the oxygen mask to a nasal cannula. But as soon as she did, I wheeled her outside, out on the hospital lawn with an oxygen tank, just to let the fresh air and sunshine bathe her and reinvigorate her. And I tell you, there's nothing like being wheeled out through those automatic doors with the rubber tongue that seals the air inside the hospital. She lifted her face to the sun. The sun gave her a dose of courage. O sole mio, stai frontate. O sole, o sole mio. The day came when I could bring her home. The pink and purple impatience that we planted on Mother's Day were in full bloom for her arrival. I covered them with umbrellas the day before in the rainstorm so they wouldn't lose their petals in the storm. The neighbors thought I lost my mind. I mean, who covers flowers with umbrellas? Flowers love rain. But I knew the pink and purple would uplift her, transport her. She loved pink and she triple loved purple. A specialist wanted to do a bronchoscopy on her. We see something on the lung, he says. No, I said. Give me six weeks to clear her lungs. Come on, doc. She was a smoker. I know she has atelectasis. We got to open up those pinched corners. I drive her home, wheel her by the flowers, put her in the chair, raise her legs. She's so grateful, so happy, so content. She loves how clean everything is. And when I bring her something to eat, she says, oh, I feel like I'm in a restaurant. Come on, Ma, we got to open up your lungs. Call me from across the apartment. Come on, open up, yell, holler. You got to cough all that gunk up. She couldn't get out a loud sound. I tried everything. I played tenor arias, I sang with her, pulled out all the Puccini cassette tapes. Nessun Dorma we played countless times. I coached her to open up on the last line. Vincero, vincero. Only opera matched the intensity of our lives. The high stakes of grave and catastrophic illness. The struggle to just keep breathing, keep a roof over our heads. She tried, but above all, my mother was a lady. And the lady in her abided by the rules. She put on her pink lipstick and kept her mouth shut. She was polite. She was kind all the time. She wouldn't holler a long, loud sound. Nothing worked. I tried all kinds of strategies. So I really thought hard about this. I thought, when was the last time, where was the last time that I heard my mother yell? Really yell. And it came to me. So I wheeled her out to the baseball field. Out in the outfield and left her there. While I ran the base as fast as I could. I told her to cheer me on, and all the words came back to her. She yelled long, loud sounds. Go, 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 Annie, go, hit the ball. Come on, way to go. Good eye, good eye, you got this, that's it. Go, Annie! She hollered like she used to down at my games, and she coughed up deep globs of phlegm. Success. That did it, and we did this over the weeks. And that's how we avoided the bronchoscopy. I took care of her like a baby for eight months. I was the baby in the family, and I always knew it was tradition. The baby takes care of the mother. 
So I always knew this day would come. Then I got spring fever. I had to get out of there. We weren't getting along. I was very frustrated. One day she was on the phone with her cousin talking about cancer, cancer, cancer. I got triggered. I'd been cured of a teenage cancer I had 10 years by then. And the last thing I wanted to hear about was cancer, cancer, cancer. So I'm in the bathroom with a buzzer doing the back of my neck. I always use the scissor for the top of my hair and a buzzer for the neck and, you know, like around the sideburns. My mother taught me how to cut hair. So I come out of the bathroom and she's on the phone and her eyes widen in approval. She nods like I did a good job. But for some reason, this annoyed me. I didn't want to look cute, like suburban cute. So I went back in the bathroom, picked up the buzzer and kept at it. By the time I was done, all my hair was off on the floor. (laughs) You know, once you start doing that, you just want it all off. It's like a relief. Finally, I used a razor to get it all off. My head was shiny, round, beautiful, stunning, actually. It was the first time I saw my whole naked head. By then, she was off the phone. Don't come out of there. I know what you did. I don't want to see it. That's what they did in World War II as a punishment to prisoners. I think it's strange that people go their whole lives and never know what their head looks like. I mean, you never know if you have a beautiful round head or not until you lose all your hair or you shave it all off. You just never know. So I recommend to everyone out there, at least once in your life, see the shape of your own head just once in your life. The shape of your head, it'll surprise you. You know, it's strange being a human. You don't know what your head looks like. You can't reach your back. It's just weird. I loved my head. I couldn't stop rubbing it as the peach fuzz grew back in. And when I went to see my friends, they all wanted to rub it too, like it was a good luck talisman. My head, as it turns out, is perfectly round, round as a ball. But I listened to her words. I wrapped my head in a towel to walk out of the bathroom. She was in the kitchen. She didn't look at me. I grabbed my black leather motorcycle jacket and ran out of the apartment, went downtown. I had to build a new life. I walked the streets of the East Village and the Lower East Side, bouncing my Spaldine, till I found a job, an apartment, a shrink, and a lover, and not in that order. That felt like a life. And I set out to change my inner pizza line. Boom, bada, boom, bada, boom, bada, boom, bada, boom, bada. I throw the ball. I throw. I throw the ball against the wall. I throw. I throw alone. This is my throwing arm. My one arm to receive, my other arm to throw. Through the window I throw, into tomorrow. This ball bounces high so I can't see its top. The ball has an invisible top. I throw the ball and the rain comes down. All the doors open wide at once. I throw the ball to die. Dice, rice, and other machines. I throw the ball till it reaches the sun. The ball is the sun. This is my throwing arm. This is my catching arm. My one arm to reject. My other arm to receive. This is how I caught her. I throw. I throw with everything inside me. I throw. I throw the ball till time is up. The world, I throw my hands. I throw my hips, my head, my eyes. I throw. I throw. 
I throw through you. And now the ball must hit the X. And not the X, but the center of the X. This is my growing arm to send, to aim. It does a dance all its own. And it hurts. This arm has wiped out the wound in my mother's chest. This arm can launch a ball far over rooftops. This arm can throw. This is my writing arm. This is how to throw. You pull your throwing arm back till your hand with the ball is lined up with your ear. Your other arm, you point at the target, shoulder and all. Lean back. Now come over the top. Follow through with both arms. Step. That's it. My whole life. This one motion. I throw. Watch. Thank you for coming to Annie's Story Cave. This has been a Street Cry Inc. production. Way Street Cry!